Hey, this is Mike from the High Hash Rate Podcast. Before we get started, I just want to do a brief shout out to a partnership of ours, the Freedom Festival 2024 in the heart of New England on May 4th. Participate in a unique celebration where the pursuit of freedom, health, and community values come together through engaging activities and inspiring experiences. Immerse yourself in all things Bitcoin. That's right. Including Bitcoin speakers, Bitcoin music, Texas Slim's Cattleman's Feast Barbecue, Bitcoin workshops, and etc. Participate in interactive demonstrations like parkour, cold plunge. Wow, that sounds fun. Hot tub, a soccer contest, and a raffle with prizes. Buy your tickets today. Enter discount code MASSADOPTION. That's M-A-S-S-A-D-O-P-T-I-O-N for a 20% discount. You could also visit, for more information, massadoption.net. Anyway, on to our show. Ah, screw it. Here we go. <laughs> Back then, I realized that the media is full of shit. Like, I, I wasn't really a political person back then, but that's what sparked my interest into how and why they are not reporting the same as the Russian side is and who is basically lying in this situation. And it was pretty obvious for me that Russia, like, you might agree or not, but it's it wasn't what they portrayed it to be, just aggression out of nowhere. Hey, everybody. This is the High Hash Rate Podcast. I'm Mike. And I'm Dan. And this podcast is just two plebs getting high and talking about Bitcoin, life, and the absurdity of the fiat world. Our guests don't necessarily get high with us, and you don't have to either. But it helps. You're up, Dan. You go. Yeah, welcome back to High Hash Rate. Today, we're talking to Pasha. And I, I, we follow each other on Twitter, and we have, uh, you know, we're Bitcoiners, but as you'll see, we have very different perspectives based on our, our backgrounds. And the reason I wanted to talk to Pasha is um, because he's he's Russian. He lives in Moscow and he's seeing the world and the news through his perspective uh, as we're seeing it through ours. But I think that there's a lot of um, I think a lot to talk about between Americans and, and Russians and just like what we have in common and kind of like what we maybe misunderstand about each other. Uh, and I think the recent tucker carlson interview with with uh, vladimir putin president of russia uh, kind of highlights that and is kind of the the controversy in the news and just the the way that people are kind of interpreting that interaction so pasha man what's going on how you doing you're on mute hey yeah, yeah yeah hi everyone yeah it's 9 a.m in the morning so i think i think i'm for for that time of the day i'm good enough totally not a morning person but let's do it are you are you a wake and bake person uh i used to be but i stopped okay. so yeah man so what uh, you're in moscow what do you uh what do you do like is that where you grew up uh what do you do professionally like what is your situation right now yeah let me give you a little bit of context because uh, i am russian uh, but with when I was 10, 11, we moved to Germany, and that's where I basically spent 20 years of my life. And just uh, just about over a year ago, I decided to go back. Basically, when, when the mobilization was happening, I was moving back to Russia, and everyone was asking, are you crazy? <laughs> like <laughs> all, 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 all the IT guys are moving out of here because they're scared uh, and don't know what's, what's about to happen. And uh, I was so fed right. up with... with 
Why go on. Uh, yeah, I decided basically during COVID that uh, Germany is just too crazy place for me. Two and a half years of lockdowns and I wasn't willing to get the jab and uh, lost two jobs because of that. And I thought, okay, uh, I got to get out of here. Um, yeah, that, and, that's how I got so back to Moscow. I assume that your, uh, your, your plan to move back to Moscow uh, started before the the war in ukraine broke out and so by the time you got to the point where you were moving back uh it was you know kind of a situation that do did you have second thoughts did you think uh maybe this isn't the right time like how did how did you navigate that process oh i don't know if i really had second thoughts uh it was already october november so it was quite a while after it started uh but the first the first two weeks, I guess, all the Russians were basically not sleeping at night, just watching what's happening because everyone thought like something big is going to happen and how is it going to evolve? So the first time was really stressful. But afterwards, it's kind of settled down into what it became. And and right now, everyone is just like most people just kind of cope with it and not really, not really care about it that much because it's just so much that you can uh, inform yourself about and just daily people can't change much about it so yeah definitely had some caution about it but in the end i thought okay uh, for the motherland i'm moving back anyway <laughs> what uh you you mentioned like the other it guys asking you if you were crazy is that you work in it uh what uh, yeah. do you do uh yeah in moscow? from from in moscow currently i'm the it director uh in a, in a small company for for a chauffeur service basically just doing everything around it now i'm moving to another company that is in, in it security which is quite requested right now because um, because lots of hacking lots of regulations coming in here in russia they are basically pushing everyone to get uh, on the safe side uh, in terms of it and personal data so it's also a quite growing field here How's this made me think of a quick question? How's the scale of like Russian hacking, like or or in terms of like the strength, like, and if you line that up with like different countries or different um, uh, communities, uh, do you mean Russians that hack systems or system hacking against like are, Russian? Are the companies? Chinese better hackers? Are the Russians better hackers? Are the Americans better hackers? Is uh, there a thing like this? Tough to say. I'm not really into the hacking field as much, but as far as I see, like criminal reports and and just general news on hacking, uh, the Russians are pretty pretty advanced in that stuff. Sure. Um, yeah. What's uh in terms of what you're you're working in cybersecurity or in information systems? Do you see do you, or do you have a a good idea or any idea about who is trying to uh, attack maybe the systems in your company or who your main and uh, the people who would most likely be to attack it? Would it be foreigners or would it be Russians? Uh, <laughs> Mom. Americans hack America, you know, so uh, I don't true. think they're all hacking Russians. 
Um, no, no. Most most attacks are currently foreign. Okay, mm. sure. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. Um, what is it? So I think all right. So we watched. We'll get into the Putin interview itself uh, here in a bit, but like watching the it came out after the interview was uh, Tucker's. He was at the supermarket and he's talking about how great the the Russian supermarkets are, and the Western media just lost their shit. Yeah, and they were just attacking him for it. But I think they missed the real point, which is if you look at what his experience was, you would think with all these sanctions, all of these um, attacks from from Western Europe, from NATO, from the United States, that it would you would expect to be a little more disarray. You'd expect there to be a little more um, empty shelves, but that's not the case. So, based on that, I can already kind of start to put together this picture that. I mean, I already knew that what the the media was saying was not true, but you see it for yourself in these videos. Is that just was that just the nicest supermarket in Moscow, or was what is the situation on the ground? How are the is Russians dealing with these sanctions and these being cut off from the rest of the world in a lot of ways? How how is that affecting you your day to day? I think the only ways you really notice is in terms of payments. So banking really sucks, uh, even even to non-US countries. Uh, yesterday I was reading about Saudi Arabia uh, having trouble with Russian banks, blocking Russian banks because they don't want to get sanctioned themselves. So that 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 field has certainly problems. Uh, I just commented, start using Bitcoin, you fools. Uh, that That's how I got all my money back to Russia. And I recommend it to everyone. <laughs> just just do it. Uh, so I think the time to shine for Bitcoin is, is, is coming. Because uh, I think especially banking is going to uh, get attacked harder and harder. But in terms of food and technology, um, yeah, I mean, certain brands are harder to get, uh, but they still get imported via third countries, be it Kazakhstan, be it uh, Georgia, um, be it directly from China. Um, I mean, we got a border with China. It's basically you, you aren't, able, aren't able to cut us off completely. And also the car market changed quite drastically over the last few years. It started already a couple of years ago, but now uh, Chinese cars are just everywhere. Uh, and uh, they are, they, they seem to be good enough. I mean, I'm, I'm quite upset how Chinese were able to create half decent cars and our market was not <laughs> like, <laughs> what do you, what do you think? the the main roadblock or the main problem is for like russian markets russian economies to kind of catch up to some of the uh some of the other industrialized uh countries in the world accepting like obviously sanctions and things like that are making it much more difficult but other aside from that before the sanctions what would you say is the is the main driver of 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 lack, that lack of ability to create you know better products than competitors of oh, the lack of ability goes certainly back to the 90s where we heavily deindustrialized because the attitude was uh, why would we spend so much money developing our certain industries like aviation like chip production when we can just go to our friends in the west and buy it like that's way cheaper and uh, as soon as you got any funding you just go went to, to western companies bought it from them 
and you had what you wanted and western companies were interested to buy off uh russian companies to basically just let them go bankrupt and eliminate competition for themselves right sure. that that that's when the whole field of oligarchs when they were created um normal people didn't have any money after the collapse of the soviet union we did we didn't even have much to eat uh, what i always say uh we were raised with blue milk and dry bread because especially in the big cities like Moscow, it was really hard to get any produce. People who were living on the land were basically supplying themselves via the dachas. And um, Western companies uh, or just rich people in general then found certain proxies, which today are called oligarchs. They gave them money, those bought the companies and they basically sold them off for cheap. Uh, and that's how we deindustrialized. And going back to that, I mean, we rebooted our aviation. I mean, the whole the whole sanction thing now basically ended the illusion that we don't need our own shit. <laughs> we can get shit from abroad, and that's like that 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 illusion is finally dead. Um, but at the same time, you can't just boot a. Um, chip production from zero right you have to start with 15 nanometers then you have to advance your production you have to educate the people and uh, it has to evolve over time and finding a market for 15 nanometer chips is maybe uh, hard too hard and right yeah it has to it has to grow with time and at the same time china is also right there so some things we just have to substitute for now get get in the future right and the, the one of the roadblocks to like you said to, to chip development um is is the talent and experience from the united states uh netherlands china the koreas any uh, taiwan and these places that uh, are really known for that development what it's difficult to attract them, or would you say that it's difficult to attract that talent to move to Russia, especially right now, right? It's like, it's, it seems like it, they'd be almost impossible. Are there, is there, obviously you moved back to Russia uh, in the recent past few years, but is there any foreigners moving to Russia for opportunities right now? And is that something that's going to reverse or change? Well, if you go on YouTube, you can find plenty of channels from foreigners going to Russia. Um, basically, the whole expat thing is go to Russia, start a YouTube channel about Russia, uh, make profit. <laughs> huh. uh, so those seem quite popular right now. I don't know uh, how their experience is. Uh, my experience is quite different just because when you're Russian and you're going back to Russia, there's like basic things that you don't know how to work because you haven't lived there all your life since childhood. And everyone is looking at you like an idiot. <laughs> like, why do you don't, don't know that you are Russian? And while a foreigner, when he comes away, so if you came to Russia, everyone would be super friendly and super understanding because, oh, he's, he's not Russian. But it, I, I have to compete with different standards here. Sure. Uh, but, uh, but in terms of your question, um, Russia gladly or happily, although people here still complain that the education sucks compared to uh, the education that I got in Germany. Like when I came to Germany, it was fifth or sixth grade. I moved back back and forth quite a, quite a couple of times. But I remember being very upset that the first, I don't know, seven or eight classes, it's basically just like a kindergarten uh, 
when like my math skills were uh, levels beyond what they taught in Germany. And I was really stunned about that. So the education system here is uh, more like a Chinese education system where it's very demanding while the probably the western system is very good in terms of university so as soon as people go to college and university they get the like really good knowledge and here it's uh, it's very demanding and we got a lot of engineers here or like every every everyone is an engineer <laughs> so how do you think that affects the population their mindset when Uh, one community or one society uh, has such a, a slow burn on the on the math skills and one society has such a high demand on the other oh, well well it's not only math skills right so you get into oh sorry i got some they, they're knocking yeah. off snow off our roof uh, <laughs> uh, yeah it's a very snowy winter this time really crazy um, yeah, uh, how it affects, I, I mean, you can basically meet a plumber who is uh, knowing the works of Dostoevsky, Tchaikovsky, very versed in literature, philosophy. So everyone is like highly educated and everyone is aware of like news, global events. While in Germany, I mean, you, you sometimes like there they are a lot of educated people, obviously, in Germany, too. But the mainstream soup of people seems especially when they're disengaged with the daily events and aren't really interested to go beyond their basic education they are pretty basic in their understanding of the world and i think that also contributes to like just going with the mainstream not really caring about what's going on and uh, being less critical of their government and despite popular opinion Uh, did you hear that? Um, yeah, despite yeah. despite popular opinion, uh, Russians are very critical of their government. I mean, especially since the 90s, um, the 10 years of destruction uh, taught the people not to trust their government. And um, it's yeah. the re results that we have since then is why like someone like Putin has 80% of, of approval. Sure. I want to, yeah, so I kind of want to get into your perspective about the post-Soviet, uh, living in Russia, post-Soviet Union. Uh, but to go back, you mentioned moving kind of back and forth from Germany. What, how old were you when, or were you born when the Soviet Union dissolved? And like, what was the timeline from when your family moved? And what was the, the reason that they moved? Yeah, I was born basically a couple of months before the Soviet Union collapsed in 91. So... Uh, I, st I still have my birth certificate uh, from the uh, Soviet Union um, and basically yeah, grew up during the 90s. Don't remember really much about it. So I'm probably not the right person to ask how was life during the crazy 90s. <laughs> But um, the impressions were that people were just trying trying to survive, right? So you had like super highly advanced engineers that are, were basically cleaning floors just to make a couple bucks because there was no work that was able to pay them. They weren't they weren't needed anymore. Uh, you had cases like that stories that I learned afterwards where like. 
uh, a lot of suicide, child prostitution, drug abuse, uh, a lot of murder going on, just mafia stuff and all the crazy, crazy stuff that we heard about. And yeah, about when I was 10. So basically, when Putin became president, we moved to, to Germany. And I remember coming to Germany and really thinking like, wow, that's crazy. This is like I came into the future. Everything is clean. The, uh, the old people drive nice cars. They all have their teeth uh, made, right? So, uh, and everything seems cheap and affordable. And I really had a great impression of Germany when I came 2001, I think. Uh, and I moved back and forth and after 2002 i stayed and uh yeah i lived there for 20 years the i mean obviously you said that you were very young and you don't remember a lot of it but i think you there's a lot of things about my childhood that i kind of remember through my parents or through what my parents told me or you know their experience so based on that like your family's perspective growing up what did they miss I mean, what was life like them under the, uh, the Soviet system. And then obviously the chaos of the nineties, the corruption of the nineties and the, just the desperate economic times. It's almost like it, the reason I ask is because it makes me think of, we're kind of coming to this turning point in the United States and I don't know you, yes. when it's going to happen. And I don't know how violently it's going to happen, but whatever the system we're living under is going to dissolve. And the, the people think that, you know, maybe hype by Bitcoin will, will usher this in. And I think the problem is that, you're not going to just have this smooth transition where sovereign individual one, talks about yeah, this, yeah. one system ends and then you just move right to the next one and everything's successful. So it's, it's like almost a be, be careful what you wish for type of scenario. Do, do you remember your family's perspective on the Soviet system and then just the chaos of afterwards? And did they, were they, maybe we should go back or we want to keep moving forward. What was just your perspective on that? So, I know that my mother didn't have any issues with the Soviet Union. Like I also asked her how, like, how was it for you growing up? And I don't know, uh, having these whole, the, the whole Soviet thing, basically with the Lenin pictures in the background and being a communist and going to the communist camp and th singing songs and whatever it is. And she said it was totally fine for her. She never had any problems. She got her profession. She learned, she went, she, uh, to study, uh, um, to be, to be a theater director here in Moscow and basically moved away from her family when he, she was 16, because uh, she was sick of the city they were living in, came to Moscow and had a good life here. Um, so she said, yeah, like afterwards you learn about all the shit that was going on and part of it is overplayed. Part of it is true, but like when when she grew up there weren't like death camps that and stalin wasn't shot shooting people and the soviet union despite it being communist was one of the highly developed nations like although it was centralized planning and you didn't have the market which provided all kinds of stuff it wasn't like people didn't have stuff to eat uh, everyone was housed everyone had a job and uh, everyone had some decent standard of living um, so, uh, I, I, the mainstream person didn't really suffer. Right. But in the nineties, it was just a time of, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. It's total despair. Everything is going crazy. And 
the country is collapsing and 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 it's it's not like Soviet Union collapsed. Yeah, like, as you said, it's not, it's not a transition to something new. And especially because everyone had these high hopes when they basically overthrew the Soviet Union and Yeltsin came to power, people were thinking, oh, now our American friends are going to come in and we're going to trade and the Cold War is over and we're going into this happy time. And and it wasn't that, right? So, and no one knew how how where are we going to go and it's just like basically you're watching a country dissolve and and uh, yeah. you don't know when it's going to end so it's it went on for over 10 years i mean even when putin came to power right it's not it's not like he snapped his fingers and it turned better uh, but he started working on it and i think it's just about like probably 2005 where people felt kind of stable and got into a positive attitude about Russia that, Hey, we are, we aren't, we aren't collapsing as expected. We're still around and life is going on and economy is growing again. So I think, yeah, it's about 10, 15 years. And as you said, like going into this, I I think that's what also happening or, or, how to say it right way. I think that's also happening for the Western countries, but I think it's still pre-collapse. I think it's like a decadent Soviet Union in terms of government that thinks it can do whatever it wants. And at some point, like it can go on until it can't. Like as right. Douglas McGregor said yesterday, I was, I was watching his uh, videos mm-hmm. and he also said it can just go on until it can't. And revolution is right. impossible until it isn't. And I, I have no idea what's going to go on. But that's partially the reason why I also moved to Russia, because I thought, well, if I'm in Europe, it's a highly densely populated area. Anywhere I go, I'm going to run into people. But if I'm in Russia, I can just fuck off to the north and uh, uh, and go on for days and nobody is going to find me if I have to survive somewhere sure. in the woods. Sure. <laughs> and yeah, you, you kind of mentioned that comeuppance that you kind of notice coming towards the West, uh, kind of in this pre-collapse and kind of, I think the difference, at least from my perspective, uh, is that when this does come, even though the United States does have problems with, with the federal government, it's not nearly as centralized as the Soviet system. So it's not going to fall the same way. It's going to be more of a decentralized collapse. And you're already seeing that if you go to certain American cities, it's just the homelessness, the despair, the drug use, the, just the, the, the crime. It's, it's not the same in every part of the United States. There's parts of the United States, the Midwest, for example, that is actually having like a industrial revival and, and the cities are growing and they're, and they're pretty strong and, and parts of the coast and other parts that just run by corrupt systems are just falling apart and decaying. But I definitely see the, some of the parallels there. It's, it's not a good sign if we keep going in this direction, but then, you know, you're kind of, you have this perspective, right? And you move to Germany. You mentioned that it felt like you moved to the future. Um, and, and there's a lot of aspects that it sounds like you enjoyed and benefited from by living in Europe or in West in Germany. But at the same time, you're, you're, you're still a Russian. You still have your background and you live in the West where everything's kind of portrayed in culture and the media in the, in the news on politics and TV, especially in Russia or excuse me, in Germany, um, that, that Russia is kind of like the enemy, like the, um, the aggressor, the, 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 there was the bad guys in movies. How did, how did you deal with that growing up 
like living in a place that you enjoyed where you had friends where your family lived but like nobody else around you really had a great opinion of russia at least from the state perspective yeah um yeah i really recognized that in 2008 i think with the conflict with between russia and georgia it started to be really obvious for me because during that time when that conflict was i was visiting russia visiting my grandparents and other relatives and i started watching news and i watched russian media and they start talking about they showing pictures that basically georgia attacked those uh, those region in the north abhazia and Ossetia uh, that were kind of separatists and where where also russian troops were stationed like russian peacekeepers to basically keep them from killing each other and uh, they have shown pictures how they attacked with rockets and so on and basically you were already aware of the context and uh, after three days russians started basically an invasion to push back their troops. And I was comparing the German news with the Russian news. And the first three days through German news just acted like nothing was happening at all. And then as soon as Russia moved, uh, uh, they started reporting, oh, Russia is moving into Georgia, basically out of nowhere for no reason. They just attacked Georgia because Russians are evil. And then meanwhile, in the Russian media, I was already seeing for days, hey, there is a conflict and they're attacking and our peacekeepers are dying. So after three days, we decided uh, that we're going to move in and push, push the troops back from those regions. And so basically, they gave you a lot more context. They've shown you videos, pictures, you've seen it all. And back then, like, so back then, I realized that the media is full of shit. Like I, I wasn't really a political person back then, but that's what sparked my interest into how and why they are not reporting the same as the Russian side is and who is basically lying in this situation. And it was pretty obvious for me that Russia, like you might agree or not, but it's it wasn't what they portrayed it to be, just aggression out of nowhere. It had its reasons, it had its context. You may agree or, or disagree, but they weren't reporting on that at all. It was just Russia is bad, Russia is evil, right? And that's where I started getting interesting, interested in the whole political sphere. And yeah, 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 go on. No, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna say fast forward now to today. So uh, I was born in the late '80s, Mike in the mid '80s, and, and you said you were born in 1991. So neither of us really have neither of us grew up or had any context for the cold war and like that's when the united states and the soviet union were mortal enemies almost came to nuclear war at times in my parents life but never really in my life and then we went through the 90s and it was obviously the united states and corporate um raiders were going in and picking russia at the bones and and, and battling with like what would become oligarchs for for the resources but kind of in the media and just the way it was portrayed at least from my perspective it was like russia and the united states were kind of friends now it was post soviet union it wasn't the greatest friendship but we were getting along and then throughout the the early 2000s it didn't it there didn't seem like this enemy or this antagonistic attitude from my perspective um but then like even to the point of the 2012 american presidential election when mitt romney called uh putin and russia like america's biggest um enemy and everybody laughed at him it was like that's nobody feels that way but now fast forward to today 
and really the past decade, we've been at proxy war or war, um, especially now in Ukraine. And so there's this, there's half of the United States who just rabidly hate Russia. Like they want to like censor the Russian flag from like tennis matches. They want to like cut off Netflix and McDonald's and just like some of this the trash culture and media that we send over there. Um, and they hate Putin and he's the enemy. And it kind of boils down to this. We're not getting any information from Russia, from Vladimir Putin. We're only getting it from the BBC, MSNBC, whatever, the White House. And for the first time, a few weeks, you know, recently, Tucker goes over there and he interviews him. And it probably could have gone better. Tucker probably could have done a better job. But I'm wondering what your perspective has been the past two years leading up to this, you know, this this interview and and how what is the perception of the United States from from Russia and like the American people, the American government, Biden, Trump, like where I don't start wherever you want with this answering this question, but I'm just kind of curious about your perspective. Well, we, I, I think it makes sense to give the picture which Russians had of America, but like since the 90s, or at least when I grew up, we all grew up on American movies, like this, the good old Disney movies that aren't weren't woke yet, uh, Lethal Weapon, Die Hard, right? So we're basically... In, in terms of cu the culture that we grew up in, we were we are probably pretty similar, and we we didn't have like an anti anti American stance at all. Like, and even now, if I turn on the TV, I go to a movie channel, uh, just on public TV, there's American movies playing. So there is not this censorship culture that I. You, that, that is going on in the West right now. I don't know. I, I'm not really aware how bad it is in, in the US. It seems the US is still uh, doing less of that than the European Union is because in the, in, in the EU, Russian websites are censored. You can't go to RT. Uh, RT is banned off YouTube. Well, off YouTube, that's an American platform. But it's totally censored. Is If you are wearing a Z sign in Germany, for example, somewhere, you can go to jail for three months for approving a war of aggression. Uh, and yeah, part of the reason why I moved back was uh, while I stayed during COVID and why I then in the end decided to move away was uh that the hate hatred for russian was so so intense that i was just afraid that my mother is gonna talk in, in russian on the phone and somebody is gonna attack her because i was boxing for four years like if someone's gonna uh fuck with me i can defend myself but i knew that my mom she she could say something to people and maybe she would got, have gotten attacked and that's why I thought, okay, we, we gotta we gotta get out of here. And there were cases of Russian people not getting treatment in uh, medical centers. So one story was the, the cancer patient was denied treatment because he was a Russian. That a clinic said, no, we're not going to treat you because just because you're Russian. And the censorship of the flag and, and during sports events and. That is, that is worse than during the Cold War because during the Cold War, the Soviet Union and Americans were competing and uh, it was like uh, the, the Cold War was going on in sports, right? The Russians were, uh, or uh, uh, hockey, right? Canada, Canada versus uh, Soviet Union and it was like a big thing. And uh, so in, in terms of that, we were like 
enemies in terms of ideology, but we still had some form of respect for for each other. And now it seems just vicious and uncivilized hatred that is uh, filled into the heads of people, and uh, you don't know what to expect. And uh, uh, Yo, yeah, I th- you, you just point out like the that cancel culture can go all the way up to the the nation state level. For me, this is something I just thought of. And what I think is most interesting is that we grew up in the West and you would hear nothing about the, except about how the, even though the Russians stopped being communist, you know, decades ago, right? Like the Russian communism, like it's so authoritarian censorship, lockdown of opinion, et cetera. And it sounds like that's not going on there. Now it's come here. Now we're the ones doing it. And I, I think other than a small set of, you know, libtards, you want to call them, that hate Putin and hate Russia. I don't. I don't know anybody who who thinks that way. I, they do think that Putin is a dictator or that Russia is like they have this respect for their military might and their capabilities. But it's not like this hatred for Russian people at all. But you, there, you're, there is a very noticeable difference, and you can tell just on Twitter, right? Like the Peter McCormick. Uh, he's just. He's got Russia. He's got Putin derangement syndrome. He he cannot even talk about Russia or Putin without just going in immediately into like the the state narrative. And a lot of like the European Bitcoiners are are maybe not as extreme as that, but they always rally kind of behind him. And he always calls like the American like Putin simps. And it's trying to communicate, which I've given up on that. It's it's not that it's not that we support Putin. It's not that we think. Russia should be able to do whatever they want, whatever. It's not, but it's not that we don't think that. It's just like the hypocrisy of like all these things that we accuse them, we accuse, we project onto Russia and China to some extent is really just, it's our own internal uh, rot, political rot and corruption that we're like kind of pointing and saying that they're the ones doing it. But it's like, look in the mirror. And that's all we're trying to say sometimes. But I just don't know like how you feel about that. Like what, maybe what is your like perspective of Putin? Because everybody in the West thinks he's just this authoritarian dictator. If you, if you piss him off, he's throwing you out the the window of a hotel or a hospital. And maybe that's, you know, maybe you don't want to say, cause you don't want to end up out the window of a hospital, <laughs> but, but it's like, I, I, I don't think that that is a very informed point of view to think that way. I mean, all again it's it's this hypocrisy to think that of only why we're prosecuting and persecuting our own political enemies in the united states well for me the question always was like is he part of the globalist elite or is he not right so right there you go uh, because i was i was getting political in germany since the like the ron paul days uh, 2012 uh, i became uh, very libertarian leaning, uh, joined the libertarian party in Germany. That's where I also encountered Bitcoin. We were talking about gold and somebody came up with Bitcoin. We criticized it, didn't buy it first and learned more about it. Uh, and I just faced in Germany myself, like especially during COVID, like I was protesting that shit already in March 2020 when I compared like the death rates and really calculated it compared to the flu. And I thought, okay, that's bullshit because I was the first one to wear a mask, like in in the start of February, end of January. Me too. Yeah, Me too. yeah I was I was buying masks. I, I saw those Chinese videos and I thought, okay, 
the news aren't saying anything about it and i see that those videos i'm better going gonna go save buy a mask for everyone i don't know what's coming around and right. then the state just switched and everyone had to lock down everyone was going crazy about COVID, and i was started to, like to get in doubt like yeah because exactly. especially because i'm libertarian i don't trust the state so exactly. as soon as the state starts saying something i gotta double check and I saw, I, I went to many protests. I lived in Berlin in that time. I, I went to many protests, over 20 probably. And I was at the biggest protest in Germany, which you may, may have seen or may not. But I have seen the state repression, the German state repression, uh, and felt it myself. Basically, when we were uh, surrounded by police and water cannons from three sides in November when it was like 10 degrees Celsius. I don't know how much Fahrenheit it is, maybe 18 or something, but it was pretty fucking cold. And they started water cannoning everybody, just like the whole mass of people. And the estimations were it was at least 100,000 people up to a million. Like it was a massive amount of people. And they started just encircling everybody, spraying everybody down with water. The people in the first rows were beaten by police. There were families and it was like a super international group, like families, older women. It, it, it wasn't like a, a, I don't know, a black block protest where it's all young people dressed in black and hyper aggressive. It was all peaceful people, Israeli flags, Turkish flags, uh, German flags, uh, libertarian flags, Bitcoiner flags. It was like the whole potpourri of people from Germany. And there was no aggression at all. But at some point, they just start, started beating the shit out of everybody. Uh, and I got water cannon too. And then I look at protests where they uh, report on Russia. And it's like, oh my God, look at this. People are getting arrested. And then you see four policemen just dragging somebody away. And he's not getting beaten in the face. He's not getting pushed down with his face, mushed in into the asphalt. He's not getting a knee in his back. Uh, everything seems like, okay, they are arresting him, but they're not beating the shit out of him. And He's getting arrested, he's getting written down, and then he's not going to the gulag, he's going home. And then maybe he's going to get a fine or something, right? So it's it's not like it's reported to be so crazy and evil, but then you getting the shit kicked out of yourself in a protest in the middle of the civilized Berlin, right? And the civilized garden, as Borel said, right? Uh, and it's basically not reported at all. And the whole media is saying that you are the enemy of the people because you don't want to take an experimental shot and uh, it's just it's just these double standards that apply to russia but never apply to themselves right and as right. you said like look look in the mirror uh you, of course uh, russia has to be criticized and er everyone should criticize their government and probably also all other governments right you have to right. have a cr critical view but you have to keep it in perspective of uh, of the whole world. Like you can't right. apply super high standards to Russia and then just disregard whatever is going on in Europe uh, or, or the US as, well, we can do that because we are the good people. Our authoritarianism is a democratic one. And in Russia, it's whatever they do. Uh, uh, they are the old commies and they're evil. <laughs> like that's... Yeah, yeah I think... Uh, outside of China, which is a totally different story, I think that the most brutal repression in 2020 and 2021 came from places like Australia, Canada, uh, some places in the United States. Oh, the United States wasn't bad. Uh, and, and, and in Europe. Um, uh, and it's the, the places that 
proclaim to have the most freedom, the most uh, democratic values were like the most brutally repressive or repressive during that time. And I, I guess to, to sum up my thoughts on it is it's just kind of this, uh, we, there's so little we really know about anything that's going on outside of our immediate perspective. And especially if you start, you have to go start going through news and layers of digital media just to see, you know, a, a small insight into what's going on somewhere else in the world. It's, it's great that we have that technology now and, it, and we can get way more information, but it's still so filtered. And to go back to the Tucker interview, it, it, people, I think, again, lost perspective of what, Vladimir Putin was doing when he, he went into this long, it was like 30, 20, 30 minute explanation. He started back in like eight, 808 AD to explain the context for what's going on in Ukraine today. And to be honest with you, I, most Americans, including myself, we don't know the Russian history. We don't know the Ukrainian history. We don't know all of the nuance, all of the, um, the, the tradition, the family ties that kind of existed and led up to what's going on today. So my opinion on it doesn't matter. Like I'm not, I don't support the war in Ukraine from the United States perspective. I don't support like the Russia invasion. I don't know why they did it. I don't, under, I can't fathom. I can't understand it because I'm not from there. I don't get it. That is their territory, their beef to squash. And I just, I just personally, the only political perspective I have is that I don't want to put spend American tax dollars to be a part of it. To the Ukrainian government is obviously corrupt. They are obviously sending their their soldiers to just get butchered, so that uh, rich people in Ukraine can continue to get American money. And I don't that doesn't ex I don't excuse like any indiscriminate killing from the Russian side either. But it's again, it's like I don't know enough about it. I'll never know enough about it. My only opinion is I don't want to send any more money to it. So yeah. <laughs> my question is, <laughs> how do you see the, the, this conflict? Like, how do you see it playing out? And like, what do you, what do you think is going on right now? Like, because there's so much, there's so much propaganda that it's, it's very difficult to know the truth. Well, um, I was something who were, who was watching the events of 2014 very closely because I was already politically aware. So I was watching the Maidan uh, happening in real time. And um, I'm prob probably uh, more uh, radical than Putin because already in 2013, 2014, I was of the opinion that uh, Russia has to go in and put in peacekeepers or something. Uh, like I was, I was surprised that after Putin took Crimea and allowed them to have their referendum, um, and Crimea, I was myself in Crimea once and it's, it's, it's like Russia. Like everyone is speaking Russian, everyone looks Russian, everyone behaves Russian. So the, the character of the population is completely Russian. And if you look into the history of Crimea, it always was Russian. And then just by decree, it was put into the administration of, of Ukraine. And back then they didn't even think of the possibility that the Soviet Union can break up in a couple of decades, right? So uh, um, I was seeing what's going on and it, it you as as a person you don't start to distinguish well 
those Russian people, they live in Ukraine. That's why it's okay for Ukraine to kill them, to uh, subjugate them because they're speaking Russian, to force them to not speak Russian, learn Ukrainian, and uh, just because it's another, uh, it's a random border that was drawn somewhere by, by the communists, right? So I, I'm not a communist. I don't really like communists because my family during the revolution was loyal to the czar and half of them were butchered and we were like Cossacks. Well, I am the Cossack. My family were Cossacks and today's Chechnya. And they got uh, basically. They were uh, displaced and everything was taken from, taken from them and they had to flee throughout Russia. So I'm not a fan of communism. At the same time, my relatives were fighting during the Second World War. My great-grandfather was one of the people taking Berlin. I have a picture of him in the center of Berlin. Uh, so it's like this bipolar relationship to the Soviet Union. So we, we appreciate that we won the Second World War, but the system, we don't. And I already forgot, forgot where I'm really going <laughs> with that. But... Uh, it's kind of like why why is it now the border of Ukraine is holy or, and the people don't get a right of self-determination while for example Serbia could be carved up uh, without any referendum just because they said oh well uh, we got we got this Kosovo and it declared independence via decree of some people without any vote so it's again this double standard right so why 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 can the uh, West carve up nations as it see fit, but the Russians can't basically reunite with Russia after their own wish, after a violent coup, uh, where like even the whole Maidan thing was so dirty. Like the Yanukovych basically agreed to have a new vote, like let's have a new vote, uh, decide on a new president, and maybe we can come back together. And they just threw it all overboard, tried to kill him, stormed the buildings. And that's where just the Eastern, Eastern Ukrainians said, like, that's not a government that we voted for. We didn't decide whatever you did there in Kiev, and we're going to do our own thing now uh, until you come to the negotiation table. And instead of sitting down and trying to talk with those people uh, because it, it wasn't just like some separatist groups that took over government like in key in in crimea or donbass donetsk lugansk it was the regional governments that were already in place that said we can't support what's happening in kiev and we're gonna do our own thing for now and see where it goes and nobody wanted to talk with them like they started an anti-terrorist operation started suppressing them started killing people and you just live for years and see how people that are speaking russian that are behaving russian are getting bumped the shit out of them and russia is sitting on the sidelines they took crimea because of the sevastopol naval base and those people are just kind of in a limbo. They don't have a government that supports them. They don't get any pensions. The pensioners, they start, they stop paying out pensions to their own citizens that they claim to be their own citizens. And, and those people are just kind of lost in a limbo. And I was of the opinion, like, why are we letting those people suffer? Like, let's either take them into Russia or not. And right. If that happened years ago, maybe it would be less bloody. Uh, but as we see now, nobody ever wanted to uh, like actually solve the issue. Um, yeah, my is, is Crimea still in that situation where they they just do no, not no. have a no, 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 they took it Crimea dodged the bullet. 
because already in 2014 they were incorporated into Russia after the referendum right. there and we had our troops there and they just basically when the whole thing happened they went out uh, occupied the Ukrainian bases and took it over without a single shot because back then the Ukrainian army wasn't that militarized and basically even Ukrainians were like what the fuck are we gonna go to war with Russia like it was even impossible for them at that time they weren't they weren't as radical then they weren't getting that american money yeah well yeah i was gonna say to uh, i avoid speculating and 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 talking about conspiracy theories other than you know on twitter for fun but my my only my only statement is that you kind of mentioned the the way that the people are treated in um, uh, eastern ukraine and it's you know if if they really cared about the sovereignty of the land and the, and the, and the freedom and the, the people being Ukrainian instead, cause they don't want to be Russian with, you know, if they really believed that they wouldn't treat them, they, the, the situation wouldn't be what it is. And if it, if there was anything more than an operation of money laundering and like American Western corporations wanting control of farmland and natural resources that are available in Ukraine, if it was anything other than that, I think what would be different, you know, it's, Everything, everything that is the conspiracy of why the United States is 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 supporting Ukraine so um, fiercely, um, is because that's exactly the incentives that they're displaying. They're doing exactly what you would expect a country to do when they were just it was just kind of a, a corrupt money laundering grab of of natural resources. <laughs> yeah, but it. We're about fifty-five minutes into this, and it's a Bitcoin podcast, and we haven't really yeah, asked. Yeah, yeah. We I, haven't I, talked I, much I about it. About that, yeah. And I was—you—you you kind of mentioned it briefly, but I was wondering if you would maybe talk about your Bitcoin story and like how, kind of how you came to discover it. And you kind of—you said you dismissed it. You were kind of more into gold and Ron Paul, but when did you start? What I guess when did you switch from just being interested or, or owning Bitcoin to like becoming what you would call a Bitcoiner? um well i'd say it was i i would say it was gradual i mean uh probably the time that i remember was 2016 2017 that i was really getting into it in terms of interest and learning more about it and watching the block size war happen not really understanding what was specifically going on listening to tone based podcasts uh, explaining why shit coins are bad <laughs> and uh yeah that was the time that i actually uh, got into it and was uh, understanding how it was even better than gold. Uh, but I was I was aware of it much earlier, as I said, because due, because of my participation in the Libertarian Party in Germany, and everyone was kind of aware of Bitcoin and discussing it, but not really seeing the benefits of it. And uh, ah, I still hate myself that I bought silver back then instead of Bitcoin. <laughs> Because what, I lost fifty percent on that silver. <laughs> was there something that pushed you over the edge? Uh, I think it was gradual. It's not something I, I don't sure. remember something standing out as like that is it. I was just already back in twenty twelve being very critical of the Fed uh, because of Ron Paul listening to Ron Paul, uh, being amazed how much I can agree with a politician because he kind of really embodied this uh, American archetype of non interventionism constitutionalism uh, like this anti-globalist america uh that is basically which it was founded on 
And as I, as I learned more about America, I also learned that Russia was basically supporting America in its early days and basically uh, being one of its only uh, allies during the Civil War. Uh, there's also a lot of interesting history that even Americans aren't really aware of, that, that Russia supported Lincoln. And, um, and yeah, it was then gradual that I just learned, learned more about Bitcoin cryptocurrencies in general. I even worked with a couple of ship, shitcoin companies just to get more startup experience. And it was just afterwards that I then became a complete maximalist, realized that th those other, other people are just printing money and being centralized. Uh, just having a blockchain doesn't, doesn't make you decentralized right. if you have a company. I, I, if you if you asked most people the last two years, you probably couldn't ask for a, you know a worse but a really better um, you know situation than to start orange pilling people and to start convincing people in Russia to adopt and look into Bitcoin. But my question is, have they it has has interest in adoption grown or has it been kind of disappointing? Uh, in terms of the general population, um, there are Bitcoiners, especially I know people who came from the US already way before COVID, they came back and they are aware of Bitcoin and are Bitcoiners. Uh, but in the general population, it's not really that much because in the 90s in Russia, there were a lot of like pyramid schemes and Ponzi schemes going on. So the reflex for the Russians is like, oh, that's probably another Ponzi scheme. And we got so burned with that in the 90s. So screw that. But so it's it's but it's the same in Germany. Like I didn't encounter much difference in terms of hesitancy to to Bitcoin um it, it feels kind of the same but at the same time i kind of stopped preaching about bitcoin so if people are ready i'm mentioning bitcoin i'm explaining that i'm using bitcoin i'm explaining that i got all my wealth transferred to russia with bitcoin i just sold my euros got my bitcoin came to russia and here i am i didn't have to declare anything i didn't have to uh uh, hide money in my trousers uh, to go over the border. <laughs> I just have it, and it's uh, it's a huge benefit that you realize only when when you're dependent on it, right? That sure. you can just pack up and leave the country and still yeah. have your wealth available. You aren't tied like with a house or with a bucket of gold that you have to <sighs> basically smuggle over the border <laughs> and not have taken from you. Uh, the um... Go ahead, Mike. I have, I have some. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, one I had a curiosity because I, you know, we've been doing the show for like I don't know, uh, year Almost and a half, two years, two years, something like that. And you start to see all the metrics on your uh, consumer base. You know, the people who listen to you. And we have, you know, we have people all across the world basically uh, listening to us. And I don't know how many or how much of that activity is VPN or whatever. But one thing is for certain is that Russia is like dark. It's like, it's like black. And so well, obviously that there's some sort of firewall there happening. Well, and I'm well, curious well, about that. I, I'm going to pick on Mike a little bit. Most of Russia is black because most of the population or most of the land area of Russia is, is kind of <laughs> like nobody is not, lives is there. Unpopulated. there. It is a little lighter, you know, 
in okay, fine. Western that, in Western Russia near Moscow. The, yeah, that's fine. But even in the heavier you know regions, the re- the Moscow's and the Saint Petersburg, Saint Petersburg, there's we we have like no activity, and so I'm curious. It's like there's no weed smokers, there's no Bitcoiners, or it's just uh, lost know, in translation. Lost in translation could be that. I don't know. Well. There are there are both here, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Russia is in like Russia. Russians describe themselves as their own kind of civilization uh, because not many spe- people speak English here. Like and the English they they speak is very basic, and there is enough content in Russian. Russian is like the fifth most spoken language. The more people speak Russians than Russian than there are Russians due to the Soviet Union. So it's kind of its own infosphere. And we have our own uh, social networks, uh, VK and Adnaklasniki uh, and whatever else. So the people are kind of in their own infosphere. And it's pretty wa- wide. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's not really uh, going into English. And I'm surprised by how many speak people learn German here. Like even I, when I was in third grade, oh, I had a choice between learning German and lear- learning English. And I probably know more people that speak a little bit of German rather than speak a little bit of English. So it, it's a little bit surprising that it's English is not more popular here, but hmm. it is what it is. So you, you sure. can still find at the airport, you're going to find a person that speaks English and maybe at the hotel. But mm, if you try to find, uh, try to get along with English here, like uh, you're going to have issues. You got, you got to learn Russian when you come here. Um, I guess answer like how, however you, however you feel like this, but what is your uh, are you optimistic on russia's future are you optimistic uh, on the, the russian economy um i i from my perspective i think that russia's about to wrap up event you know this year at some point there'll be a resolution with ukraine but you know what do you see like the next five to ten years um going on and, and the changes that might occur or not occur there I think I'm kind of bullish on Russia just in terms of the economy. So I think the whole sanctions regime gave a good stimulus to invest into uh, Russian industry, Russian companies, basically localizing everything and create our own alternatives just to be sure, right? So aviation, yeah. yeah. And and, uh, right now the industry is expanding also because of the military industrial complex. But if that subsides at some point, uh, all those people are going to go into the private industries and Russia is very resource rich. If we start not to just sell those resources, uh, but rather like create something out of them, uh, it can be very beneficial. And Russia is positioned to be a massively rich country like uh, there, there was a joke a russian walking around in saudi arabia filming those lamborghinis and ferraris and it's like look they only got oil we in russia we got oil we got uranium platinum titanium whatever you want uh, uh but but they have a sheikh and we don't have a sheikh so it was kind of jokingly that we got everything it needs to be a rich and prosperous country we just need to kind of like realize the potential here. And I think the stimulus is now, uh, the, the signal has now come through that uh, Russia has to um, uh, 
create its own market and uh, serve its own market. But at the same time, I'm, I, I think there is a reasonable chance that the conflict is going to expand because, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm with you that Russia is certainly winning the conflict in Ukraine. I'm just, I just don't know if uh, it's going to stay in Ukraine. I think there's a sure. significant danger that the Baltic countries uh, are going to try to pull NATO into a confrontation with Russia because the politicians there in the Baltics are even more Russophobic than, than well, in Ukraine. Well, if I think that one, I don't know how optimistic I am because I just don't know what's real and true anymore about <laughs> politics, but I, I, I just hope that I'm not even saying I, because I, I don't like Trump. I don't want Trump to win, but it, it's not even just Trump. I think that there's just a, a, hopefully a good chance that this U.S. It's the Biden regime, right? But Biden's not really in charge. He, I don't think he knows what's going on. It's who, what, who, whatever forces are running the U.S. government right now. Um, I think that their time is running very thin. And I think that it's things are about to get crazy here, whether it's whether they get rid of the current power establishment or things just get so chaotic and, and break down so badly here that we don't, we just can't afford to focus outside of our borders. So I'm not saying, uh, so I don't know. I don't know. I just, I feel like hopefully that war for everybody's sake ends, uh, as soon as possible. So hopefully, well, yeah. Yeah. For me, the U S feels like it's uh, running off train because like the, the competent neocons, right. That we had in the early two thousands, like John McCain and whoever else they were, they were determined to push the neocon agenda. And I feel like the people that kept coming afterwards are more like opportunists. Like I do whatever I have to do. I, I go over bodies to make my fortune and then I fuck off. So I, they aren't really like the neocons of the early days. They aren't as idealistic. They are more opportunists. And I feel like they, they are just replacing the old people and it's kind of a self-running system of corruption that is going somewhere that is not even aware where it is going. It's just like those principles. We have to, we have to be aggressive. We have to push. We have to uh, do all these overthrows all over the world and uh, we have to control our population. But it's just uh, without an aim and i feel like it's it it, ha it has to collapse at some point right we we don't know right. how bad it's going to get and how desperate those people are then going to be to then risk pulling us all into a global conflict that's, and if, yeah. if that's going to happen we're all basically screwed <laughs> but yeah, I, I i think I, the next I, war I, that the united yeah. states enters will be a civil war not a foreign war i mean we are obviously already at war but i mean like the next real like one that we're go full force on well i i hope not but because me too yeah i i think like i i also heard people talking about like let's divorce but that's a big yeah yeah that's a big one that i heard too but it, it's not gonna be good for the u.s it's, it's not gonna be good for anybody i don't uh, think yeah because how are you gonna then gonna split up it's it's basically gonna be like the soviet union that you have family on one side family on the other side you are separated you need a visa to go to the other country or how is it gonna work then the, the all the all the trade uh, that is happening are you gonna have to pay like taxes on right. trading Nobody, with the other side yeah, yeah it's gonna it, you've it's gonna thought be you screwed. have thought more about this than 90 percent of americans have 
Yeah, and then what is about the constitution? Is it going to go out the window and each side is going to create their own basic uh, neocon set of uh, rules? Or yeah, it's I gonna think it's going to be woke versus based. Yeah, my, my recommendation is we live through that. Don't don't do it. Like uh, yeah. collapse together and then come out of it together. And the United States, uh, although is a young young country, it has it has uh, a significant history, and I For think sure. it's 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 founded on uh, revolutionary values. It's it's uh, unique in its constitution, unique in its set of ideas of equality of men and those rights that uh, the u.s declared to be self-evident that um, the man man is made by god and is not a servant to the state uh, and uh, i think though just going back to the roots would be enough for the u.s because yeah. today's u.s is not the u.s that we know that we love and i think the conservative american and the conservative russian have way more in common that than the uh, and neocon. The Bitcoin, yeah, the Bitcoiners yeah. in Russia, the people that are just kind of libertarian, whatever you want to call it, in the United States, just to kind of everywhere. It's That's kind of a binding uh, force that kind of helps us connect. Uh, and I'm, I'm literally, in terms of like connection for economic and transactions and, and stuff, but the value system kind of is a is a way to identify with each other. Yeah, I tried to connect with libertarians here, but uh, I don't get along with them. They are they are way too pro-Western, not not critical uh, enough. Many people sure. here don't really realize how good they have it here. They yeah. still think that that the West is like the West of the '90s, and I'm like, mm. you gotta go there. You gotta live for yeah. a couple of years, pay taxes. Like the Let's taxation see. rate here is 13% max. I paid half of my salary in Germany for all this kind of tax stuff. Uh, it's, wow. It's, it's not that bad yeah. over here. <laughs> well, you obviously know uh, you, you have a pretty good grasp on on U.S. history and U.S. culture. And I think if 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 you take nothing else away from this episode, if you're listening, um, it's that think the the life in Russia, the Russian government, just the perspective of the everyday person over there is in their history is not probably what you think it is. And you should we should probably learn more about each other's culture and, and understand it better and try to avoid more conflict in, in World War Three, But that I don't know if that's ending on a high note or a good note, but I did want to ask one question a little off topic is, are you still working on Blocksnake? <laughs> I tried to get some funding for it. I had a couple of VC calls and uh, I, I developed it as far as I want it to be uh, as a minimal viable product. I don't know, you know Shire, right, on Twitter? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was basically we just we were just shooting the shit on Twitter, and I asked why there is no snake game that is block snake. Oh, sorry, I'm getting a call here. Um, why there is no snake game that is Bitcoin themed? And then I just thought, okay, I'm gonna learn Unity, develop it, and it's gonna be a side project. So, I uh, wasn't able to get any funding for it. I got a couple sats on 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 the Gazer Fund campaign. If you wanna try it it's on android go to gazer fund look for block snake and you can play it for free uh it's a little snake and bitcoin education game so nice it's check cool. it out um yeah like where else uh, do you, do you want to send people to to connect with you i guess I just go on twitter yeah at ghost of pashka uh, or just look for the cossack maybe you're gonna find me like that and 
And my, my, my last point of advice is uh, you don't have to study all of Russian history. It's a thousand years. And uh, uh, I, th I think it's more beneficial to approach a country in a way where you want to get to know the character of a nation rather than all of its history. Because just learning the character uh, gives you enough information of what to, how, to, how to approach them. And, yeah, I... Yeah. Uh... I some of the some of my favorite uh, books and novels that I've I've read so far in my life are Dostoevsky, um, uh, Brothers, uh, Underground Man, um, and then The Death of Ivan Illich by Leo Tolstoy. And I think that you can read those and kind of get a decent, um, I don't know, foundation for the character and like the appreciation for suffering. That, that Russians have. <laughs> Let's hope there's going to be less suffering and more yeah. appreciation of everything else. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Mike, do you have any? Have any no, I'll, cool. I'll cut it. Thank you again for listening to the High Hash Rate Podcast with Dan and Mike. If you want to learn more about the podcast and see what we're up to, you can find us at highhashrate.com. Or if you just want to speak to a couple of baked 80 IQ plebs, Reach out to us at hello at highhashrate.com or you can reach out to us at the high hash rate handle on X. Later, everybody. Holy Toledo!